I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and that's Grayson. And this is Autism Building the Puzzle. One piece at a time. So, uh, Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. We're really excited about the interview. Yes. Uh, and to get some perspectives on, you know, different things. Um, so uh, before we kind of get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background and things like that? Well, I have been in the autism field for about, oh my God, almost 30 years. <laughs> almost 30 years now. It's been a long time um, that I've been working in this field. Um, I have a master's in psychology in applied behavior analysis, and um, I've been working with mostly with children on the autism spectrum, but I've also worked with teenagers and adults in school settings and home settings and clinical things. I've, I've been everywhere. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. I mean, and that's why, you know, we wanted to have you on the show is because we know, you know, yeah. you have a lot of experience in the field. So obviously you can have, uh, you know, share a lot of knowledge with our listeners. So yes, um, why don't you just explain for a minute what a BCBA is? A BCBA is a board certified behavior analyst, meaning that we have to pass an exam from the board in order to practice. And then we have to follow a set of ethical guidelines as well that the board puts out for us. Okay. Awesome. Uh, and what is like the BCBA's role in the therapy setting? Well, we create the program um, that includes the skills that we're going to teach the child, the behaviors that we want to reduce. Um, it includes assessing the child, training and supervising the therapist, generally overseeing the whole program. We write all the skill programs, we write all the behavior reduction programs, we make sure that the therapists are teaching the programs correctly, we write the teaching strategies themselves, all of it, we're just the creator of the program. You're in charge of all of it, pretty much. All, yeah, yeah. Every, yeah. <laughs> that's great, though. Okay, and like, why don't you t tell our listeners a little bit about like, what goes into that, like, um, kind of, you know, is there an assessment and then, you know. Well, that's start. We start with the assessment. We assess the child. We find out what skill deficits there are, what skill strengths there are, what behavioral problems there might be. Then we write the whole program for the child based on those strengths and deficits and behavioral issues. We decide what kind of teaching strategy is going to best work with that child. We're going to assess what reinforcers are going to work with that child. Because, you know, one kid might like M&Ms, but the next kid doesn't like chocolate. So we got to yeah. make sure. Yeah, our little guy uh, definitely doesn't like those M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> it really has to be individualized and tailored to each person. So each program is going to be very different. One kid's program is going to look like night and day to another kid's program. Um, we are also going to... Um, train the therapist how to work with the child and oversee that training, provide constant reassessment of both the therapists that are working with the child, <clears throat> the progress that the child is making on the programs, 
and um, and behavioral issues that might come up. We're, so we're reassessing pretty much every six months, but we're also reassessing weekly when we do our supervision sessions as well. Awesome. And, and excuse me, <clears throat> parent training is involved in that process as well, right? Yes, it should be. It needs to be because really parents are the ones that are left after the therapists leave. So parents really need to be the most critical part of a good program. They really need to be able to learn, observe, and demonstrate the same skills that the therapist is ideally. Yeah. I mean, we say that all the time. Our uh, to our listeners that you are your child's best and most important advocate. Yeah. So you're the yep. one that's with them all the time, um, you know, and nobody's going to speak up for your children no. or help them more than you can. So exactly right. And so it's so important that parents are there learning at the same time, because once the therapist leaves, like I said, they're the ones that are there left for the rest of the day. So, right. And that has to be consistent and then they have to be able to follow through exactly how that therapist would, or it's very hard for that child to maintain that. So exactly. Because if a therapist is being very contingent about a behavior, let's say, for example, that they're trying to get a child to come here when they call them to come here and they make sure that they don't provide any reinforcement unless the child actually comes to them independently. But then therapist leaves and the parent says, come here, and the child doesn't, and the parent goes over to the child and still reinforces them, what happens? Yeah. yeah it continues. It's, yeah. yeah. The kids don't know whether to come or not to come when they're called. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, kind, it's of kind of throwing away everything that they're working on. Right. Time. So, yeah. So, that, yeah, that's another important point, I guess. Yeah. It would be that, you know, if we're not following through as parents on the things that, we're learning and our kids are learning and working on in therapy, you know, that's just going to set, set the whole therapy process and learning process back. Right. So. Absolutely. Because the parents are the biggest example and the child is going to follow their parents before, you know, a therapist that they only see two, three hours a day. So. They're with you. So that's, that's the example that they're going to follow. Exactly. Right. 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 Um, What are some of the most common challenges that, our children face? There's a few. Um, The biggest challenges are definitely speech and language difficulties and social interaction difficulties. Those are the hallmarks of an autism diagnosis, obviously. But there's other things involved as well. There's anxiety, there's attention difficulties, sometimes depression, especially with the older kids, Um, sensory issues, sleep problems. There's there's a lot of problems that the kids can face. The biggest two, as I said, are the language and social skill deficits. So not being able to explain yourself, tell people what you need or what you want. Imagine being in that position where you couldn't get what you needed because you didn't know how to say it or how to ask for it. Or imagine in social skill development, you know, really seeing other kids and wanting to play with them so bad but not knowing how to do that. Yeah. It's, and, it's and a really, course, hmm? that would cause a lot of behavior from not being able to communicate. That's, I mean, I, I can't imagine how hard that must be for. One of the things is all behavior is communication. Yeah. So our job is to find out what is that behavior trying to communicate? Yeah. 
you know, and I, uh, I think, why don't we go into that a little bit then? Uh, sure. Talk a little bit about the functions of behaviors, because I know that's extremely important. You yeah. know, we want to make sure that when we're working with our kids that we're assessing the behaviors properly. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. This way we're not reinforcing, you know, the wrong behaviors. Negative so, ones. Why don't you talk a little bit about more about that for us? Sure. That's one of my favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> because it is really important. And, yeah. and I missed it by telling you that back in the day, <laughs> when I first started working in the autism field, we didn't even know anything about the functions of behavior. You know, I remember asking my supervisor when one of my clients uh, displayed aggressive behavior. You know, shouldn't we find out why they're doing that? And he said, it doesn't matter why, we just need to address it. <laughs> but now, of course, as with any discipline, we learn and we grow. And now we've learned that the function of behavior is a very, very important part of any treatment plan. You really have to know why the behavior is happening. As I said, all behavior is communication based. Um, there are four reasons why behavior can be happening. The child could either be trying to escape either a task demand or escape attention. They could be trying to get attention. They could be trying to get a particular item or an activity, or they could be doing something just because it feels good, which we call automatic reinforcement, or a lot of people refer to it as a self-stimulatory behavior. Um, and especially kids with sensory needs, they're gonna be engaging in a lot of self-stimulatory looking behaviors because it feels good for them, it soothes them, it comforts them, something like that might be going on. But the reason it's important to find out what the function of the behavior is, is because we could be inadvertently reinforcing behaviors that we don't want. So if a child is trying to get attention and they're slapping at someone in order to get their attention, and then we say, hey, why are you slapping at me? Why are you doing that? Don't do that, that's bad. We've really just given them attention because my other favorite saying is, attention is attention is attention. It doesn't matter if it's positive attention, negative attention, what kind of attention. If you just make a facial expression, you're giving attention and you're there reinforcing the behavior of slapping. So it's really important to know what the function of the behavior is because we don't want to inadvertently reinforce it. If they're trying to escape, maybe you're hugging a, ch uh, a child, not Grayson, obviously, because Grayson loves to be hugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you're with a child who has opposite sensory issues and they really don't like to be touched with many kids on the spectrum don't like to be touched and you're hugging them and they start slapping you. So they're trying to escape attention. And so in that case, it's the complete opposite. You, you want to you don't want to let them go in that case because they're slapping you in order to get away from you to escape. But what do you do? You're in that situation where you want to you want to honor their sensory issues, but slapping you to get away from you is an incorrect and inappropriate way to do it. So we have to then teach them the appropriate way to do it and then reinforce that. Right. Oh, yeah. So obviously, I mean important. that sounds extremely important because yes. I mean you could just enhance, you know, negative challenging behaviors uh, just by making a simple mistake like that and, yeah. you know, analyzing the situation and all. And, you know, and that's why it's important to make sure you're working with a, you know, experienced, um, well-educated yeah. uh, 
BCBA and, and ABA company that really can, you know, put you on the right path to resolve mm -hmm. those type of problems. Now, um, you know, another thing about that that you know I want to bring up is a behavior can have multiple functions, can it not? You're absolutely right. Good for you. <laughs> so, you know, obviously we also have to then consider the situation that the behavior is happening in um, yeah. to kind of like separate what function it might be at that particular time. Exactly right. And this is where it can get very complicated, as I said, because we can have the same behavior serve multiple functions. <clears throat> and so slapping sometimes can be used to get attention. Sometimes it could be used to escape. Um, and it's really important to find out what's going on in that moment <clears throat> to determine which of those it is, whether they're trying to escape or whether they're trying to get attention. Because if we then inadvertently reinforce it, which can so easily be done, right. we're messing the, the, the plan and teaching him that the inappropriate behavior is okay. So what we typically do is look at what happens just before the behavior. And when I mean, when I say just before, I mean that split second, right before the behavior happens. And that's the antecedent to the behavior. So we also then look at the consequence of the behavior. What happens in that split second after the behavior? And that helps us determine what the function of the behavior is at that moment. Right. So for example, if this child is just sitting there by themselves and no one's paying attention to them and then they start slapping someone a second later it's pretty pretty clear just from that antecedent alone that the function is getting attention right. but if the consequence is no attention is provided is that really the function so we have to kind of like really tease that apart and we have to get multiple yeah. examples of something in order to really know what the function right. is Right. You're not going to from one instance. We'll be right back after a word from our show sponsors. Here at Building the Puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The Speech Paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www.thespeechparadigm.com. You can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268. You can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm. We are also sponsored by Grayson & Company, uh, making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy, they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys. And now back to the show. So for our son, Grayson, with his head banging, that for him has had multiple functions, we feel as though. Right. Um, we feel like you know, in the beginning, it wasn't attention. It was, you kind of were confused by it. And as long, you know, as the therapists were confused by it, it was kind of like is something bothering him. Maybe we should go get an MRI because I mean, he would walk in the other room and do it away from us, you know? So it was like, okay, he's not really doing it. Like here, look at us, I'm headbanging, come to me. 
in that sense as you know when he was younger um and he wasn't really frustrated at that time when he was doing it like not every time sometimes he was but a lot of times he would just walk in the other room and yes you know just tap his head on the floor a little bit and i think uh one of the things we did was actually make sure there were no neurological problems and stuff like that absolutely Um, rule that out first wanted to rule that out first um obviously because you know you read stories about like animals like dogs and stuff when they have like a brain tumor sometimes they push their head against stuff to release that yeah inflammation and pressure um so i mean i could see how that's definitely something that could you know be a potential cause of that but you know for grayson you've worked with grayson for a while um why don't you talk you know tell us a little bit about the functions of his headbang and you kind of use that as an example if you could good good okay um one of the things i just wanted to insert right there is that we always start off with ruling out a medical cause before you can determine the function you have to make sure that there isn't a medical cause and that's exactly what you guys did with grayson is rule out any kind of neurological reason for the headbanging that he was doing yes Uh, and he did engage in headbanging in a lot of different situations. He did it when he was by himself. He did it when tasks were presented. He did it um, when people were paying attention to him. It definitely was a multifunctional behavior right there. And we kind of had to address it step by step according to the function, one function at a time. And the first one was obviously the... Um, sensory one we did some response blocking we didn't let him bang his head so hard i remember the trampoline being there in the living room and banging his head on that and we'd put our hand over his forehead to make sure he couldn't hurt himself and we did the little response blocking just to kind of decrease that sensory input that he was getting he also then started doing it to escape task demands because we couldn't present any demand at all for him without him engaging in some of the head banging. And again, we did some response blocking and we kept presenting the task. We didn't let him escape because that obviously would be an escape function. So we kept doing it and kept presenting the task. We made sure that we gave him things that were really reinforcing to him for doing the tasks and not engaging in the head banging. So we were able to tease it out that way. So now he's not doing it anymore to escape tasks. Attention is what I think where he's at now um, because he's not head banging anymore at all, really. He's, he's decreased in intensity and duration. He's kind of done this switch to this head tapping kind of thing that he's doing. Yeah, and he takes the therapist's hands and he holds the therapist's hands up against his head. Um, And I think it's attention-based because he usually gets what he wants, which is attention, soon after doing that. Um, But I'm also on the fence currently because I also think some of it is sensory seeking still. And we're trying to do some different things to, to kind of tease out which one of those it is. So I've directed the therapist now to make sure that no attention is provided at all for any of that behavior um, so that we can kind of work out which one is going on there. It's a little pinpoint that more accurately. And, you know, I think Grayson's headbanging has changed because it used to be the floor. Then Mm -hmm. you said it went to the trampoline, but if you noticed, it was on the padding part of the handle. And we always said, like, he knows to go to the padding part then sometimes he'll do it with his iPad, but now mostly it's by it our hand, our hands. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's, you know, it's, it's lessened up in different ways. 
Yes. Um, like you said, now it is more like either a sensory or an intention thing. Whereas before there were a, a wide array of things going on. So, I mean, there were moments that he would be laughing, running up and down the hallway and just run over to the sliding door and just bang his head laughing. And he was happy and there was no, he was yeah. just enjoying himself. So you were like, okay, what's, what's happening here? So that's mm-hmm. when we started thinking, okay. And you know, with Grayson and I, we've talked about this in previous podcasts with Grayson, when he was a baby, he had a ridge going down the center of his head and we had to take him to a neurologist, a plastic surgeon, and his plates had closed early. And they, we had to take him to the doctor because they had to check to see if there was still a soft spot. If there wasn't, they were going to have to open him up, but because he still had a soft spot. So my concern in the beginning, when we started early intervention was with his plates closing early, how do we know maybe if there's some pain there or something, because he can't communicate that with us. And he right. had a ridge for a, a good year. I mean, we even went to a plastic surgeon about a year ago just to see. And it finally pretty much has gone away. And he said yeah. it would just subside on its own. But with a kid that can't communicate, it was really hard to say if something was bothering him or not. Right, right. And that's the most difficult thing because especially when there is some sort of underlying medical Thing that you might be concerned about then it's even more difficult to try to figure out what the function of the behavior is is there pain yes. that was happening was there you know a pressure that he was feeling because of that early closing that right. he's trying to alleviate that made that makes perfect sense to me that that right. could have been going on sure and it sure. could make sense you know maybe that's why he likes that squeezing maybe he's just still developing and things just aren't you know. Yeah, because he does like his head squeezed. He likes when Ed's doing that. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, even when he gets upset, you know, um, with anything at home, like we go over, I, you know, one of us squeezes his head for you know ten seconds, and it seems to calm him down most of the time. Not every time, it, like but brings him back. Of the time, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and. I'm glad we had this talk because also I, you know, I kind of realize now too, like he does do the head bang to, or a head tap to the hand to me. If I'm like in the middle of doing something, like if I'm cooking something and I really can't go with him that second, cause I got to like move something off the yes. burner or something like that. He doesn't understand that he needs to wait for a second. And I think it's hard at so, a child that age for patience, yeah. you know, it's hard to, <laughs> understand like he especially a child that really doesn't understand the concept of time yet it's mm-hmm. not a child where you can say okay the time's 12 40 when it's 12 42 i'll come with you just wait till 12 42 <laughs> he doesn't understand and he doesn't really know what a minute is you say a second but it's really not a second we make him wait and sometimes it is longer you know so it's it's hard to teach that i think at this age i guess we got to use the visual timer that the, the RBT we used to do that well, we used to do that all the time <laughs> because he knows that he's got that down yes i was about to say that because he definitely does understand the timer because we're using that with his reinforcing with the ipad yes knows when the timer goes off ipad is done (laughs) you use alexa's timer all the time there you go so i would say okay you know you have the tv alexa's gonna go off in two minutes then we're going in getting changed and that would beep and i would be like okay and we started doing that and then we kind of stopped because just you know things changed um but yeah so he's a little familiar but he knows when to hit that green button for a break (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah 
<laughs> I am almost... walks in and he just hits it right away. <laughs> he's so cute now. He's such a manipulator now. It's so funny because now when he wants something for me and Sean, he won't come over and like grab our head and headbang really. What he comes over and does now is he comes over, he hugs you, he gives you a kiss and then he says, come with me. <laughs> it's like, and, and he just, he's learning to suck up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's so cute. cute his hug and kiss and then you're going to do what he wants <laughs> yes. he's got the reinforcement backwards you're supposed to do what he wants first and then reinforce you <laughs> yeah right. hey well at least we're on the page of he's doing something positive we're doing something positive. Yeah. he's kind of, he's kind of using aba back on us yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah it totally is but i i am almost 100 percent convinced that it's attention seeking now yeah. the head tapping behaviors because yeah. He's totally getting attention when he's doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we got to use that, you know, to talk about a real world example. I mean, yeah. and I think people are going to get a lot from that. So, yeah, I'm talking about Grayson, which I know you guys love to talk about Grayson. So, oh, we can yes. <laughs> Grayson all day long. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving on, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what is the, what would be the initial primary skill? you want to make sure you work on or develop um, when you're evaluating a child? Manding. Manding is the number one skill. Because, and manding means requesting asking for something that you want. Um, because the biggest behavioral issue is when, as we talked about earlier, kids can't get what they need or what they want. And so being able to request what they want is the biggest, most important skill that there is for them um, because that's gonna lead to a huge reduction in behavioral difficulties because they can now have an appropriate way to get their needs met. Um, and it's functional, you know, it's something that they can do out in the real world to be able to, you know, can I have a cookie, please? Can I have a break? Whatever it is, can I have some help? Whatever it is that they might need to ask for. Um, it's, it's, it's the number one biggest skill deficit that there is and that they, that's the first thing that I always am trying to work on is manding. It's so important. The second thing that I always try to work on is imitation because I want them to be able to engage in observational learning. I want them to see what other kids are doing and do the same thing. I want them to know that, you know, the fire bell goes off in school and all the other kids are standing up and leaving the room to evacuate they should get up and leave the room because all the other kids are doing it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I learned so many skills from just observational learning, from imitation. So that's the second. Those are the two most important skills that I, I start with initially. Yeah. I think that, all, I mean, that helps them with their social skills too. Yeah. Yes. The, the parallel play and following others. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. you teach them that when they're younger, and then by the time they get 13, 14, you say, don't follow with anyone anybody else is doing. <laughs> Are you going to follow your friends when they jump off the bridge? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Imitate everybody. Okay, stop imitating everybody. <laughs> it's so weird because, you know, we were going through old photos and videos of Grayson over the past two weeks, and, you know, we looked at videos of him right before he turned one, and and... I mean, I would stick my tongue out. He would stick his tongue out every time and he would just imitate. And then it just stopped. That was it. And never did. I, I mean, I don't know if I could get him to do that now. Like if I just stuck my tongue out and he just did it without going through it for a few days, you know? Um, so that isn't a very important skill. And that was something that Grayson hasn't 
fully, I mean, once he lost that, he never really fully picked up yet. He still time with imitation, getting him to, you know, do this and just imitate whatever it is, do this is. So maybe we're touching our head and we're going do this and touching our head and modeling it for him. He still is not doing that. And I'm, I'm struggling to find out what the reason is for that, because most kids can pick up imitation pretty quickly. And I'm not quite sure why he's not. So something is not reinforcing about it for him, I think. And so that's where I'm trying to like, kind of focus now to see what is it that maybe it's the prompting isn't going the way that it should be going. Maybe the reinforcement isn't there for it. So um, now that we've reintroduced the iPad as a reinforcer, I might kind of go back to that because I think that that would be something that's powerful enough to motivate him to do it. Especially if you say, do this, he does it, iPad, do this, does it, iPad. Like, and re- like over and over really quick. Yeah. Yes. One after another, after another, after another. If you remember two, three months ago, we'd say, Grayson, what do you want to eat? Take him to the pecs board and he would go like this. <laughs> it was the Put funniest his hands on his thing. Head. Yeah, and then was... Sean would say Grayson and he'd go, I would just say your head, name. Yeah. But, <laughs> he but starts would... scrolling through responses that got him reinforcement before because he's not quite understanding what it is you're asking. So he starts scrolling. Well, I know if I clap, I get reinforcement. I know if I touched my head, I've gotten reinforcement. So what is it that you want? I'm doing this. I'm doing this. What, what, what could it be? And he's guessing, you know? <laughs> so, but I think that really the motivation to imitate for him is very, very low. So I think that if we find a super powerful reinforcer, like using like the iPad, I think that's what's going to get him over that hump for it because he can do it but it takes a lot of effort for him to do it. Yeah, I know he can do it because we've done things from time to time that he's done, he's followed mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's extremely inconsistent with it though. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, it does come down to something like that, that it's just, he doesn't have enough motivation to do it for whatever reason. And I feel know? like it's been that way in a lot of areas with Grayson. Grayson is inconsistent and Grayson has always been inconsistent. And past therapists have always said he's consistent at being inconsistent. Consistent, um, consistent yes. It's just, I, I don't know what it is. I get, yeah. You know, he keeps you on your toes. <laughs> he on your toes. He keeps you guessing and working, which is good. That's okay with me. He's like, you think you got me figured out when really here he's probably just playing a game with all of us. <laughs> I mean, there's times my mom will turn to him and say, I know you can talk. You're not fooling me. And he'll just look and laugh and put his head down. <laughs> I mean, you know, so who knows what's going on in that little head of his. And just by the way, he needs to do everything right and perfect. It would not surprise me if this kid doesn't start talking until he knows he has every word down that he can say. Because, I mean, some nights I'm like, are you sitting in your room talking, like teaching yourself, like what's going on here? (laughs) I wouldn't either. He's so smart. He really is so smart. And I I, I totally wouldn't be surprised if he's just waiting till all of the motor function and planning is already in place. And then he's just going to start talking in sentences right off the bat. Yeah, I've thought about that. (laughs) Which would be so awesome. (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm not kidding. Uh, Kim, what would you say three elements that create a successful therapy program would be? I have two different thoughts about that. One is very, you know, ABA. You know, a functional analysis is one of the most important things, knowing what the function of the skill of the behavior is. Consistency is the second one. Um, Making sure that everybody is doing everything the same way. 
so that there is no confusion, there is no inadvertently reinforcing inappropriate behaviors, and contingency, making sure that you actually have the behavior that you want before you provide the reinforcement. Because a lot of times we provide reinforcement early and we haven't quite gotten the behavior and then it takes us even longer to get it. But my second train of thought is flexibility. You have to be flexible. If you are so um, insistent on making sure that everything is done this way, a certain way, you're not gonna get very far. You have to be flexible with what the parents' needs are as well as what therapist needs might be. You know, some therapists really can't handle certain behaviors. And so you have to be able to either A, change therapists or B, you know, spend a whole lot of time training that person if that's the person that you wanna keep on the job. Parents can't always do the things that we as BCBAs might want them to do. So some parents, for example, might not be able to spend half an hour each evening just working on one particular skill that we've assigned for them to work on. You know, they might not have the, the availability to do that. They might have other siblings could be in the house, whatever the reasons might be. It's really important to look at what the parents and the family's needs are and what their priorities and goals are as well. So the flexibility is really one of the most key things, I think, for, for BCBA. The, the other thing that I think is that the, the program has to be fun for the child. The therapist has to display some enthusiasm. I can't tell you how many times I see therapists, you know, reinforcing with, oh, good job. What's, what's this letter? Oh, good job. What's this letter? Oh, good job. Where they should be like, oh my God, that's right. That's A, that's so good. Good for yeah. you. That's the kind of enthusiasm yeah. I want to see in a therapist. And I want the therapy sessions to be fun. I don't want the child to think of therapy as an aversive task that they have to get through. I want them to like run to the therapist and like be so excited that the therapist is there. Yeah. So for me, those two things are really the most important aspects of any program I agree yeah I mean I think you know if, you, if you're not going to engage the child and make it fun they're not going to want to be there so they're going to be adverse to whatever you're doing in therapy anyway yeah I mean it's just like you know you wouldn't none of us would want to go to you know uh some sort of seminar or something where we're you know going to be sitting there bored out of our mind all day exactly. uh, so you know you want <laughs> a fine balance of uh information and enjoy enjoyment you know what yeah. i mean so mm -hmm. that's what gets the best out of people so yeah when you think about it i mean we're working with children and sometimes very young children who you know they're they're not wanting to sit there for two hours and and point to cards and you know they they need to have some kind of fun physical aspects to the therapy program yeah. And that's understandable. I mean, it's got to be hard. And, you know, I say to Sean a lot, like, you know, if Grayson's struggling, I'm like, you have to remember, like, this kid's been doing this every day for the past four and a half years. Yes. He hasn't had a break. Like, I, I would be tired of it, honestly. Like, you know, I'm, you know, he wants to just have his day. He doesn't want to, you know, and I think it's hard. And in the beginning of, you know, doing therapy every day, multiple times a day, back when Sean was working, I'm, you kind of struggle with that as a parent, you know, you're doing the right thing and you know, you need all that therapy. And at the same time, you're like, when does the kid get to be a kid? When, 
you know, why does he have to have all of these responsibilities, but other children don't? And I think it's, it's hard, you know, seeing yeah. that. So sometimes I do have a lot of sympathy for Grayson because I am proud of how hard he has worked and it's been a lot. So. Absolutely. What advice would you have for parents of newly diagnosed children? Join a support group. That's my most important piece of advice would be to get a support group. You're not alone. And I know that the, you know, if you get a diagnosis of autism, it can be overwhelming initially. There's a grief period a lot of times for a lot of people because, you know, you were expecting situation A to occur and situation B has been handed to you. So you do have to kind of grieve a little bit about situation A. And in a support group, you have other people who've also been handed situation B and have already gone through it, know what to expect, and they have tons of information. There's so much information yeah. out there that other parents already have who've been through it. Um, they really can help. And it's so important to know that you're not alone, that you, there are other people that you can turn to for support and for help. The second thing is to research, get educated, learn everything that you can learn, but make sure that you are looking at evidence-based information rather than anecdotal information, because it's so easy to just say, oh, if I do this, everybody's saying that this works and this could cost a lot of money and everybody's saying that this works, let me do this and hello, my child's gonna be cured. So the other important thing to note is that when it's so important to do research and to find evidence-based information because there's been a lot of snake oil salesmen out there trying to sell cures for autism um, with anecdotal information that really are just a waste of time and money. And in some cases can even be harmful to a child. So it's so important to make sure that the research that you do is evidence-based, science-based research. And the people in the support group should be able to help you um, direct you to that kind of so before we wrap up the interview, Kim, what, um, is there any other things that you feel that it's really important to share with uh, parents out there and our listeners? I think that the, the really the most important thing is, is to not give up. You know, there's help out there. The, um, you're not alone. There's information and strategies and things like that to help. The other thing is to find what's going to motivate your child because every child is different. So motivation for one child is not going to be the same for another child. And um, one of the biggest challenges that I face a lot with some of my clients is finding what's going to motivate them. You know, I'll have a child sit there in the chair and be asked a question and they just sit there completely with a blank face and don't respond at all. And I tell the therapist, well, show them what they're working for. Let's find something that's going to motivate them. And believe it or not, as soon as they hold up like a cookie or something, boom, kids attentive, questions are getting answered. They're on task. They're paying it. They're, they're good to go. So motivation is one of the most important things that often gets overlooked. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, just using your run-of-the-mill hug or high-five or good job or something like that is going to be motivating for a child, and it's not at all. You really have to find what's going to work. I had a kid today who was working for blueberries. 
and he's laying on the couch and he's like, I am not playing with anything. He's putting his feet up and kicking when the therapist is trying to get him off the couch. And I said, well, obviously blueberries are not motivating for him right now. So let's find something else. His mom brought out a pack of cookies. Boom. He was up off the couch, sitting at the table. Good to go. Boom, bang, boom. Knocked it out of the park. So <laughs> it's something that is often always overlooked and motivation is the key to getting anything done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with careers and jobs out there, you know, they tell managers all the time, you know, not, not everybody's motivated the same way. Some people, you know, are, you know, their, their goal is to make a really good living. Some people, you know, their goal is to grow as a person through their career, you know, and, and yeah. become a better person. Some people are motivated just by, you know, doing something that has an impact on other people. So, you know, everybody is different is motivated in different ways. So, I mean, yeah. no, no, yeah, different absolutely. Kids, so, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that was a great interview. It was. A lot of great information. Yes. And I'll Thanks. Thank you for coming on with us, thank Kim. Thank you. Um, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we might have some comments and questions come in uh, for you. So, you know, we might uh, give you a call and, and <laughs> ask you to come back and answer some of those questions one day. I'm uh, more than happy to. Anytime. Thank you. But thank you. it was really good. And, uh, you know, we hope you have a good day. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You guys, too. Take yeah. care. For Autism, Building the Puzzle, one piece at a time. I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Signing off. Take care, everybody.
year of building the puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The Speech Paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www.thespeechparadigm.com. You can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268. You can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm. We are also sponsored by Grayson and Company, uh, making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy, they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys.